welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is K25 and Top Tier West owner and director Chris Jenkins. Jenkins has been coaching and training six-year-olds up to collegiate athletes for the last 16 years. The K25 facility is located in Aurora, west of Chicago, where Jenkins grew up. Jenkins got his start coaching at Plainfield South High School. Jenkins was a tremendous three-sport athlete at West Aurora High School and played collegiately at Triton and Illinois State University. Jenkins has great field for blending new technology into coaching this generation's baseball and softball players. You can watch his Barnstormers talk he gave on hitting on the website. In this episode, we cover training, certifications, coaching hitters, and differences between running facility and coaching on the field. Let's welcome Chris Jenkins to the podcast. You know, that, that was a big part of the virtual was not, not just for us, because we're all with the office was going through it for the first time, but all of our presenters too. So like Jim Richardson in our office is a stud. Um, he, uh, he's really meticulous. Uh, he and I work really well together because he is so Mm -hmm. meticulous and he thinks about things in ways that I don't think about. And then I'm on the other side where there's all, it's all gray area. For yeah. me, where I think we, he and I work well together because we do a good job of balancing each other out, and I think I think his strengths really complement my weaknesses, and I think his weak my strengths complement his weaknesses. So we we really it, now it takes it takes a lot to get to that point with somebody. You know, when you when you first start right. working with somebody, you know, there's always that feeling out process, um, and of course. I, you know, I think everybody comes in in with some sort of baggage along the way. So it, it's really about Absolutely. trying to find that common bond with the people that you work with. And um, yeah. I think that's what the best ones do. I think they're able to adjust to anybody. So Absolutely. We, I've had yes, a great, great time. That, that's the great thing about our office is I think we all have different strengths that, that really mm-hmm. do complement each other. Um, you know, it, it, it's fun. It's fun to show up to work every day. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you do, my dad just tried to call me, by the way. Yo, did he? <laughs> Tell him I said hello when God you God bless to him. him. Yeah, he's 76 uh, now and um, loving Pensacola, but I think he gets bored sometimes. So 
Yeah. But the, the funny thing is, like, I I talk to him way more now as a 48 year old than than really? I ever did. Yeah, yeah. I talk to him way more now. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> That's all. I just scary talked to growing up. Him last week. He was scary growing up. Um, <laughs> not is. not necessarily to me, but. My friends, um, my friends still talk about it. My friends were so intimidated by my dad when they would come to the house because they just knew him as Evansville's baseball coach. Right. right and right I knew him as dad. And so I would laugh at my friends because I'm like, obviously, I see a different side of my dad than you guys do. I'm like, he's, he's actually kind of, of a teddy bear. Um, of course. But in between the white lines, he was not. So we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> at some point. So. Yeah. All right, here with Chris Jenkins, owner of K25 in Aurora, Illinois, owner and director of Top Tier West, Illinois State grad, and West Aurora grad as well. So, Chris, thanks for jumping on with me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. This is awesome. You you and I go way back because I did recruit you a little bit, but um, you remind me that I should have offered you more money to go to the University (laughs) of Iowa many, many times. Yes, sir. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, you got us out of a jam in 2022. We were supposed to go to the Barnstormers at Northwestern. Then with all the COVID mm-hmm. protocols that were going on, uh, you bailed us out. And it was r- literally the weekend or two after our convention in Chicago. Um, yeah. But I appreciate you doing that because the facility oh, yeah. was fairly new at that point, correct? Absolutely. We're, we're pretty new, but it was a blessing. I had Man, I joined uh, ABCA through uh, back in 15 or something like that. And Jeremy Sheets uh, kind of was the first one to kind of introduce me in. And he was always great to me until still to this day. You know, he gives me that bear hug he always talks about. And uh, it's just a real good community and good family. So if there was any chance for me to help and be a part of that, I was all for it by any means. So it was a, it was an awesome. And I was nervous because it's like, okay, we're in Cook County. We had just had, you know, we got through the convention, but you literally went five miles west of Cook County into Naperville and Aurora, and there were zero COVID protocols going on. Like, I was worried. I was like, are they going to have to mask up, and are we going to have to space? And that was the weirdest thing ever to me is because we're five miles away from, from downtown, and there's no COVID protocols. Yeah, it was a little odd. Uh, it's like two different roads at that time. It was just from everything going on, it just and it was fluctuating. It was changing time by time, but it just seemed like it was two different roads sometimes. And, and obviously, a benefit for you because you didn't have to deal with a lot of that in the, with people coming in and out of the facility. Correct. We didn't have to deal with it as much, but we still tried to. Um, I had this thing where it's like, hey, we're gonna do our part. Um, so we tried our best to make sure everybody was safe like during that time. And it was more about everybody being comfortable, too. Like, I didn't want any big debates in, inside the facility when we're here to play baseball and get better. And uh, so we tried to do our part. And, uh, you know, we had everything, the sanitizer. We had the temperature checks in, in the front. Uh, people had a QR code. They had to scan in, like, the whole nine just to kind of make sure everybody felt comfortable and was focused on the task at hand, which was obviously baseball and softball. So. And you, you were hooked up with Top Tier before you opened the facility, correct? Yes, I was with Top Tier, was it one year before the facility? So um, I got linked in with them, with uh, Coach Seth Kenny. Uh, he was coaching with, uh, he was coaching with uh, me at uh, Illinois State when I was there in my time there. Um, it's kind of funny, he was a pitching coach. Um, I was not a pitcher, and so it was weird. Like, usually you don't have much connection with him, but I always felt like I had a connection with him, even at Illinois State. Um, he would try to help me out. He was young Seth then. Uh, he would try to help me out and stuff, even for, as a hitter just from what he saw as a pitcher and what he could exploit, which is huge. Um, and so that relationship just kind of took off. And 
you know, you don't see your coach for a while after you graduate, then, you know, uh, life and things bring you together again. And it just kind of took off. So it's been awesome. And you didn't play for top tier coming out of West Aurora, correct? No, I didn't know about top tier. I didn't even know they had a top tier. I don't even know if they did, honestly, back when I was. Uh, oh, yeah. I hey, don't say that. Todd Fine, he'll be Todd Fine will be getting after you. Yeah, top tier has <laughs> been around for a long time. Yeah, yeah don't probably. don't say Todd. Todd, don't come after me when you if you listen to this. Do not come after me. <laughs> he probably told me I wasn't good enough. To play, <laughs> that's <probably> why. <laughs> oh. Hey, you have a phenomenal facility there. What were the Thank biggest you. challenges with with start and getting that thing rolling there? Man, honestly, out of out of all the things, um, COVID was right around the corner and it was happening. Um, but the biggest challenge, I would say, like hindsight, was um, kind of like the fear of failure, right? It's like, man, this is a big uptaking. It was my life dream. I'm, I'm born and raised in this area from Aurora. I'm pretty prideful in being from the west suburbs. Um, and it was just like, I knew I wanted to do something big for baseball in the West suburbs, but it was still that overline. You start hearing like even some of your close friends and close family are like, hey, you sure you want to do this? I don't know if it's a good time. You know, um, the COVID thing was lingering. So everybody was a little afraid of, I think, everything at that point. Um, but it was just kind of steadfast and staying focused and just kind of that belief in self and manifestation. Like, no, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make this happen. Uh, wasn't super easy. That's for sure. But I mean. Uh, no, nothing really is if it's worth it. So, I love it where you're at too because you eliminate some of the traffic issues over yes. in that area with where you're at. When, when I drove there, I drove from Naperville to your place. Yeah, I was like, this is a perfect spot because you don't yeah. deal with some of the traffic, some of that Naperville traffic. You're missing a lot yeah. of that traffic going to your place. Absolutely, it's I mean right off the highway there, um, and that was kind of like. When I found it, it was kind of funny. When I found it, um, I had been looking at other facilities and stuff, and I was always considering that. Like, how how easy is it to get here? Like, how easy is it to get here from Triton, where I start, went to JUCO at? Like, it was like, I was always thinking, like, how easy is it for somebody that doesn't know the area to get here? Um, but being right off the highway, we got people coming from east, um, and then we got people coming far west. They can come straight through uh, 88, um, and it just makes it easy. We got a main road, Randall, right up the street. So it all just seemed to fit right and it was funny because it was the last place i looked at and it was kind of like when i came up i was kind of like man this is not gonna like there's just it's just not a good time and i was i was bent on that like i was like it's not a good time i'm gonna go check this out i'm gonna try to stay open-minded but it's probably not gonna work out and when i walked in it was a old carpet storage so it had rolls and rolls of carpet like stacked to the ceiling so it was hard to visualize but as soon as i stepped in i was like yeah i see it i was like this is it I was like, I'm gonna have turf food here. And I was like starting to talk out loud and about where I would plan stuff. And it was just like, it just felt like home. So it's been a great, great, uh, great build so far. <laughs> With the planning process, who'd you lean, did you lean on anybody that was running facilities as far as how to, how to lay it out, <laughs> where to get equipment from, where to get turf from, yeah. netting, who'd you lean on to, to get all of that stuff taken away? Taken Man, away? um, I would say somebody that helped me out the most was Todd. Um, and Todd's, uh, uh, uh a bulldog of a guy, he seems like intimidating a little bit when you see him. But, he, I mean, um, if, if you're one of his guys, you're one of his He's guys. He's got some Jim Brownlee in him, too, as far yeah, as, like, if you, if you know Todd, like, if you know Todd, he, he's got yeah. he's got that teddy bear, and he will do anything yes. for you. But yes. if he doesn't, he's just not going to go out of his way. Like Yes, and, yeah. I, and I think that's where me and him are kind of connect there. Like, we... I'm, I'm very prideful about people in our, our, like Todd would say, our foxhole, right? Like, 
I want to know that you're on my team and you're with me, right? And we're going after this together, right? And so um, when I was building this, I knew it was a big uptake and I, I want to talk to somebody that's just better than me at all this, right? And so I was like, well, yeah, look at the max. Know, gonna, look at that facility yeah, that, that Todd I mean, has. I'm going to bother this guy and, and, and for, for 10 minutes and be like, hey, can you help me out here? Without asking for anything, just a general conversation. And he was able to help me out. Um, it connected me with Chase Specialties out of Arizona, um, to outfit it and stuff like that. Um, and then I've reached out to other people that were running businesses and facilities similar, but I really leaned on people that I just felt like just flat out were ahead of me and better than me, period. Hey, you're on base you, Rapsodo, Driveline Youth Certified. Do you feel like if you yeah. run a facility, you need to have some of these certifications? Yeah, I think you need to have some of the certifications so you understand it. Um, I think the biggest thing was um, tech was booming, like, everybody had something with tech, right? And there's all of a sudden, all these numbers and other jargon started coming into play in this world. And um, I thought in my head was like, you just need to know what it is. Like you need to know what it is and be able to speak to it. You don't need to be a savant at yeah. angles. Like you just need to kind of know what it is. And I, I prided myself on constantly being a learner. Like I always want to be in a position where I'm like, I say it's like kid-like. Like I always want to be a kid, which means I always want to be curious. Like. I got a four-year-old daughter and she asks uh, 4,000 questions a day about just anything and everything. And it's like, if I can take that and instill that in what I, I'm focused in and constantly asking questions, constantly being curious about the process, then I'll get better as a coach and individual and I'll be able to lead um, our youth better. So, um, Do you I feel like Rap Soto, because you didn't have a pitching background, do you feel like Rap Soto was the most beneficial out of those? Because you probably had feel for the movement piece on base you. Yeah. The, mm -hmm. the youth, you know, driveline youth, you were doing some of that stuff already. Do you feel like Rapsoda maybe was the most beneficial for you because you're trying to yeah. feel for the pitching side of it? Yeah, honestly, I did feel like Rapsoda helped a ton. Um, I kind of leaned on the pitching side with our pitching uh, coach, which is Jared Liebeld. He went to Mississippi State. Um, he's phenomenal, um, super curious, too. Um, and I kind of leaned on him like, hey, you, you take this rap, uh, this certification then let's bounce some ideas off. Let's talk about what, what things that are similar in our movement patterns and, and things that make sense, like how we can teach those. Because I try to stay away. I mean, if you're 12 and under, I'll, I'll deal with the pitcher a little bit. But I, I kind of stay in my lane a little bit. I know better. <laughs> and you and I kind of reconnected at, at Top Tier's winter camp. Yeah. You know, yes. I hadn't seen you for a while. And then you show yeah. up there and – um you know, I, for me, because I did know you in the recruiting process, when you told me you were right. going to start working with youth kids, I was like, yes, because you have that personality that's going to mesh well with youth yeah. kids. But you work collegiate on down. I mean, who's been your favorite out of that group to work with? Yikes. Um, that's funny. That or do you like all of them? I do like all. I mean, I love all of them because I love this and I love that process. I think there's um, there's things that are very similar. I've worked with some minor league guys. And it's funny that I'm saying the same things I'm saying to a 12 year old. Right. And sometimes it's about simplifying, right. Simplify, make things easier, make it more hitterish instead of, instead of like terminology, 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 just to make myself sound smart. Right. So um, in that it's, it's, I like them all, but I like them differently. You know, it's almost like having kids like you, you love them. This, you love them equally, but you love them differently because they require different, um, and that's kind of how I feel with that process. I'm actually moving into high school ball with my team that I've been bringing up. And I get a lot of that right now. It's like, oh, which one do you like better? I, I will say this, not playing in April in the middle of the cold is, is awesome. 
I don't mind that at all. I don't miss that at all. But I am a little bored just sitting around waiting to play um, this June. So it'll be fun. <laughs> and that is the key to a good drill, right? Like you can use yeah. it with a pro player. You can use yeah. it with a nine-year-old. That's the the simplicity yeah. of having a, a great drill is you can use it with every age group of baseball or softball player. Yes, absolutely. I think simplicity needs to come back. I think we kind of veered ourselves in this big time lingo. We're talking like researchers in this game and it's like, Hey man, the athlete just wants to hear like, how can I, how can I get better? Like right now and, and more simplistic. Um, I want to think, I always tell people like, think like a hitter. I can say a bunch of terms to you. I'm going to sound super smart and you're not going to know what I'm talking about. Um, so it's like, Hey, bring that back to something just simple and key that we can kind of, um, go off of. And I've looked through some of the minor league stuff that gets sent out from their scientists, their sports science guys. And I'm like, it's, it's it's speaking a different language. And and I give the minor league player development guys a lot of credit because they can take like it's, it's PhD level information and the Mm -hmm. terminology is not baseball terminology. I give those guys a lot of credit because they can look at what those guys are telling them and they can filter it and dummy it down. So a a baseball player can actually understand what, what they're reading and looking at. 1000%. It goes back to simple. It's like, it's about connectivity. Can I connect to the player? That's my biggest. I feel like asset sometimes is I can connect to people a little bit. Um, I'm really good with um, and involved in like the emergence movement guys love what they do. Rob Bray's awesome but they get to a space or, or we can get to a space where we're talking like research papers. And I'm sorry, athletes aren't trying to hear research papers when they're, they're trying to figure out how to figure out 97 miles an hour. So <laughs> I hear your theory. <laughs> what are some other things that maybe have changed since you st- first started? Um, some things that changed for us personally is we've gone, I think we've, we've gotten to a very simplistic model especially when we're talking hitting and hitting is one of those polarizing subjects, right? It's like, if you agree with what I say, I'm, a, I'm awesome. And if you don't, then I'm an idiot. Right. So um, we've gotten back to being very simplistic. I, um, when people ask me like a philosophy, I just say hitting's problem solving in motion, right? The, every pitch is unique to itself. Every pr- pitch presents a problem. And as, as hitters, we just want to solve that problem. Right. And be I on think time it also and get into a good position to hit from like, on time. Athletic, on time and, yes. That's it for Do us. Do those like, three things and you, and you got a chance. And you got a, and you got a real shot, right? And uh, within those things, there's some, some nuances that we, we discuss and stuff. But um, I think the biggest thing, I think where the game's really going to go to is like, hey, can we get over all this terminology and let's talk about swing decisions a little bit, right? And why are we swinging at certain pitches that we're swinging at? Um, what are we looking for? And getting the, the player to really connect to that. What do I do well? What can I hit well? And what am I looking for, right? And sometimes those things, especially the youth, are two different things. <laughs> They're looking for a pitch that they just do not hit well. Um, but it's funny because you get into college kids and stuff like that. And when they're in survival mode, which I call is a very defensive way to hit, um, I, I say you, you're kind of not looking for anything. You're just hoping that something comes in your alleyway, right? And so Has I social think media uh, had a lot to do with that? Yes, kids are seeing so many different things. And I I ask this question a lot. Is it easier or harder to to coach kids now with the amount of information that's readily available, Mm -hmm. whether it's good information or not, it's still readily available for for athletes and parents out there right now? Yeah, I think there's more information than it's ever been, especially for a youth player. Um, Some may say it's less truth too. So um, that's the the fight we kind of fight with it. Um, So I try to be a 
I, I, I try to meet them where they are, right? Like, if they like social media, and I know our kids are on it, I'm going to send them stuff from social media. Hey, follow these guys. Like, hey, you want to know a player's experience in college that coach can just step out of it? Follow the 2% podcast and listen to actual players talking about it. Like, listen to this. Like, you might catch on some things, and there might be things that I didn't really find valuable, but they do. Um, so I do think – um, social media helps. And uh, of course, it, if it helps, then obviously there's another side to that where it does make it difficult at times because then you got kids looking up, you know, I got a five two kid and he's looking up Aaron Judge talking about this is what I need to do. And I'm like, well, I mean, no, that's not what you need to do. Right? So, Juan Pierre. Um, yeah. You look exactly. at Jamie Carroll and tell him to dive into Jamie Carroll's swing. Right. There's, there's right. some big league swings from Jamie Carroll. He's 5'9, 165 pounds. Yep. That we, yep. I would show him, I would show our players his swing. Yeah, very technical. Absolutely. That's was on time. Got got yep. down early because he lim limited bat speed. So he was an early mm -hmm. foot guy in the big leagues because he had okay. limited bat speed and made it work. Was very productive, yeah. but he couldn't do what the other guys were doing. He, he just wasn't right. that type of player. He was what college players looked like that end up making it and play eleven years when you're five nine, one hundred sixty five pounds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right on. I think uh, too with social media, the WBC was huge this year. To be able to send that out to the guys, and, and yeah, I think it's hard, um, in the States at least, it's hard to talk energy in our sport and that fun, but competitive fun, and they get to see it live in the front. And I, I actually made it a point to go out there um, to Arizona and watch. And I mean, man. What, what was the thing that stuck out for you when you when you went out to watch? Passion and energy. Like, it's not even – those are the two, like – they, they play with so much passion and energy and pride about where they're from. Um, and it could be a minor league guy and he knows he's going to get some big league guys, but it, it, you know, he just, they just fit the mold um, to the fans, just having fun, making the game fun. And I think that connects WBC to me connects more to our youth. And I think that's a, a way to get more people playing. Not it's that I'm saying like that. The college game. Rowdy. Yeah. The college game. It's like, more look like at the them. college game. Yes. And I, I, I can't stand sometimes. I think we, we, we get so tied to being old school, um, even though some of these really rowdy games were back in the day, too, um, that we get so tied to being old school, we make up these rules where it's like, hey, it seems unfun for our youth. And and they can go to a football game, and it's and it's rowdy, and it's fun, and it's energy. And they can go to a basketball game, and they get the same thing. But in baseball, now they got to be quiet. I mean, and, the old school guys, yeah. I want to ask, like, hey, is it okay for guys to chase guys around the field with a bat? I mean, Yeah, I, right, right. Seriously, like uh, – <laughs> I mean, they, obviously you could hit guys back then. You saw guys chase guys around the field back then. Yes. Like, I mean, I, I want to ask the old school guys some of And I do feel like I'm a little bit of an old school guy, more from a teaching yeah. standpoint. I, I love yeah. where we're going with the game, but from a teaching standpoint. Mm -hmm. But I see things out of the old school guys that I'm like, that shouldn't be yeah. allowed. You shouldn't be allowed to chase yes. the pitcher around the field after you hit a guy. Like, that shouldn't be a thing. Correct. Correct, correct. Like, or what was that 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 famous? Uh, that guy got pegged. He kicked the catcher and ran yes. after the pitcher. It's like, what are we doing? <laughs> Absolutely. So it's it's like those things. I think you know it's that's life, right? People pick what they want to see and say, hey, this is the good thing about confirmation you know, bias. Yes, that's all it is. And I I think it's like, hey, give some of the kids the, the full picture, the full scope. And that's why I I kind of mentioned I thought of that WBC, and I was like, man, this was an experience. Like if I could, I I would, I would send any kid I could to that event just to see the difference and energy and passion. It's cool, man. It's cool event. When did you get the call for the Aurora Boys Baseball Hall of Fame? I didn't even know there was oh, such man. a thing. <laughs> so I didn't either. Um, 
man, when was that? That was 2014, 15-ish. Um, it was around the time where I was I was turning the page with top tier. Um, but I got that call that I was going to be in the Hall of Fame. And I, I thought it weird, right? Because it's like, one, I could think of so many buddies that I had and other players I went against that were so much better than me. I mean, I just happened to, I guess, continue the work, right? The work that's out there for you. Um, I continue the, the drive to get there and I end up in college, right? And I, I say it's some hard work, it's some luck, um, it's some timing, right? And I end up getting there. But I thought about all the kids that at the time. I'm like, eh, I was probably like the fifth, sixth best on my team, man. Like, I was middle of the road guy. You know, there's some guys better than me. Uh, my 30th, my 30th high school reunion's coming up, and we're also celebrating <laughs> our 30th anniversary of our, our state championship. But Juan Clark in the office, he goes, hey, are you in Memorial's High School Hall of Fame? I'm like, I got no shot. When when guys like Don Mattingly graduated yeah. from your high school, I'm like, I am way down that list. Belong it's probably going to be yeah. a, a moratorium where they'll honor me after I pass. I'm like, there are right, a lot right, of right. dudes that came out things. of my high school that were way better than me. Yes, and I, I mean, and I say that all the time, but I also I also use that as a lesson to uh, the kids I coach. I'm like, hey, man, like, yeah, I went D1, and what are you in there, seventh percentile? of all athletes, if you go, you know, to college, any period, sort right? of college, any baseball. sort of college. So it's not about D one. And I was a Juco kid first. So I love the Juco game. Um, and I always tell them like, man, I wasn't the best when I was 10. I actually was terrible. I would want to walk more than anything. I was scared of the ball. Like it was rough. It was rough. <laughs> little league was a little rough. Um, so I think the hall of fame forgot about those years. <laughs> they remember my 12 year. <laughs> so I mean, I always tell them that you don't have to start off strong. Um, we're really into, like, development. Your record doesn't mean much. I hate the rankings, 10, 12, 13, 14. It's not a thing. It's and more standard, for the 15. It's more for the It's parents. like, hey, it's more for parents and people it's that want to promote that kind of stuff. Yep. And it's like, hey, man, get get down and get better, you know. Sorry about that. Oh, that's right. Get down and get better at what you're doing. Uh, don't worry about um, being ranked or being recognized right away because it's a long game here. That's a long game. So you're hopeful that and once you hit high school, you can play for eight more years. You're really hopeful. That you're really that. There it goes. All right. Uh, you have an that. office phone. You have to have office one. Because of a uh, four-hour work week, Tim Ferriss, I haven't had an office phone in like 15 years. I got, oh, wow. I got rid of my My office, my line feeds to my cell phone here. It's a way to – simplify things yeah i got that mine, mine get forwarded that way gets yeah, forwarded, get forwarded so, that way. like and i'm like anybody that needs to get a hold of me probably has my cell number and and if i don't if you're if a number pops up and it's not a name i don't answer it because i'm like right. i have seven thousand <laughs> contacts in my cell phone so i'm like you yes. probably have my cell number and can get a hold of somebody me. you know right <laughs> hey you're a three-sport athlete in high school i mean yeah. do you have many yes. three-sport athletes coming into the facility Yes. So um, maybe not three sports, but definitely multi-sports. Um, my uh, my nephew's actually a three-sport athlete as well. Um, we have a, several on our – we have like two on our team. Um, we have some younger kids that are three-sport athletes, and I think um, I think it's great. I really support multi-sport athletes. I was one. I think it's great um, for, the, for the body, for movements. Um, I think it's great for each sport. Competition. Um, I do think it's harder than it's ever been, though, um, just because – I guess the 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 Mies of the world, right? The calendar so, for every yes. sport. Every sport is doing this now. Where before we'd have a little break time, where 
I remember, I vividly remember like, oh, we just got done with baseball. Cool, it was a championship game. I had like a week or two off. Just, you're, you're being a kid. That's when you're going to the pool and you're doing little kid stuff. And then you, I walked right into football, right? And when I was in high school, I remember doing, my summers were crazy. I would do football camp in the morning, shoot over to basketball camp because West Rose basketball was off the chain at the time. And then I do baseball at night. And it got to a point where when in my head I was focused on basketball, I was I was focused on basketball. So I played more basketball in the summer. I, I didn't play much baseball in the summer. Then once I actually uh, was told, I guess, um, that I had a shot in baseball, I started focusing on that more. So I think that's the hard part about being a, a multi-sport athlete is like you got to be a pretty freak athlete and pretty blessed athlete to play all three at a very high level and not need to necessarily focus on one of them. You got to be super athletic there. And I think some kids don't, they, they, they kind of get confused in that. And it becomes more of a social thing. Like, oh, I play three sports. I don't play one. Like, it's like, hey, man, why don't you focus on that one then <laughs> or something. So You're below average at all three. <laughs> yes, yes. Or, or you're just the jack of trades at all three. Um, and I think, too, all these kids have a, a goal to play in college, right? And they don't realize how tough that is. Um, and then some kids are like, hey, I want to play two sports in college. It's like, hey, that's getting tougher, too. But they see the kid at Ole Miss, and they're like, look, he can do it. I'm like, yeah, you can, but understand the work that is under all this. You guys are looking at the peak of the mountain there, and you're not looking at everything's happening under that. So, who who told you that? Hey, big... you should probably focus on baseball. You got a chance to play college baseball. Man, uh, won't forget it. Uh, Saint Xavier College in Chicagoland area. Um, Dursk Brothers. The Dursk Brothers. Nathan Dursk. Um, I ran a probably sixty yard area, dash. area code tryout probably. Yeah, no, it wasn't area code. I think it was just like back in the day, the MOB scouting girl trials. Yep. And um, I didn't want to go in the morning. Uh, my mom made breakfast, though. So I had this rule, like if your mom makes food, you get up and eat it. Um, at least take a bite of it. Try something. Like, don't just leave it hanging there. Um, so I got up eight. And then she's like, you're up now. You might as well go. I'm like, MLB from I'm West Aurora, MLB scouting girl. Okay. All right, well, I'm up. You're right. I go out there and um, I ran a 60-yard dash, and I lost. And I thought that's what it was about. That's how, like, green I was. I lost the race, and I that was the first race I had lost in a long, long time. So I was like, oh, wow, I am cut. Like, this is over. And uh, soon enough, uh, one of the Durst, uh, I think, I'm pretty sure it was Nathan Durst, came over and was like, hey, you go to West Aurora, right? And I'm like, yeah. And they were like, okay, give me a second. I was kind of like, He's about to send me a little like nice little card and tell me to go home. <laughs> Comes back and he says, "Hey man, I heard I you know I, I realize you play multiple sports." And he's like, "You're pretty good at them all, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I feel like I'm pretty good." And he goes, "Well, you know, give baseball a shot. You might want to give baseball a chance." He say, like, "I'm not saying quit any of them or anything, but give baseball a chance." And it was like one of those kind of like moments where you're like, "Why would he say this? He doesn't need to say this to me." And I just lost the race, right? So he didn't need to say that to me, but I really took that. Um, serious. I was like, man, this this guy can't just be telling me something. He doesn't know me, doesn't owe me this. So I gave baseball a shot and that led me to go to Triton um, out of high school. And I signed a letter for the draft for the Marlins back when they had draft and follow. So I went from there to Triton and uh, landed at Illinois State. So that that part, just taking that little advice and that little book, that little push really boosted me. And like, I, I really feel like it changed my life. Who's the, who's the Marlins scout that drafted you? It was... Um, Oh my God! I just lost his name. 
I see him all the time. Scott Engler. There it is. My I bad. saw him he's with carry. The, he's with the Texans, I believe. He's now. With the, yeah, he's with the Rangers. Yeah. He uh he has an interesting job because he does amateur scouting until like the pro season starts and then he does pro coverage. So oh, he does wow. he's kind of a blended position, which is really unique. Yeah, I saw him in mm-hmm. carry last year. And I had not seen Scott in probably 15 or 20 years it yeah. had been a long yeah. time since i saw him so he has I, a I run into him every cool. now and then yeah i run into him every now and then and uh hey he'll he'll mention like to people like yeah hey, i was christian i almost drafted that guy i'm like why didn't you draft me there no, <laughs> no, so scott if you're out there no, I'm saying. <laughs> but no that that part was uh it was awesome it was, it was one of those things i i share this with our boys too um they announced the day he came into our dugout they announced all conference and all, um, and I didn't get it in high school. I didn't get all conference. So I was, I was shocked a little bit. I was a little upset about it for a half a second. Then he comes walking in. This guy, he's, he's just got a big dude. He comes he's walking. He's like, dude. "Can I see Chris Jenkins?" And I'm like, "What did I do? I, I didn't, I'm pretty sure I haven't done anything." And uh, takes me out. And I I remember filling out this packet of information that I probably for sure should have called my mom or dad on. And say, hey, should I be signing this? I didn't care. I just started signing. Scouts are good at that, man. Scouts are really good at that. Yep. (laughs) Signing everything. The reason they did all that, they get guys to sign for for a cup of coffee. That's what scouts are for. Exactly. So, so um, I did that. I I remember that day, and I just used that as an example of being like, hey, man, you know, all conference, all air. That stuff's great, but did it really matter? You know. (laughs) <laughs> Did it really matter? So, what'd you learn in the Texas Collegiate League? There's a big world out there. Um, there's a big world out there, is what I learned. And I learned about the Texas Heat my first day in. <laughs> I was out there, you know, you, you had this mindset I got to hustle. I got, I want to show myself, prove myself. Um, so, first practice, I'll never forget this Coach Matlock, Dave Matlock. Um, and I believe he's still coaching in college ball. Um, but I'm out there, I'm running after. Uh, my speed was my thing, so I'm I'm chasing down fly balls all over the place. And he he, he screams out to me. He says, hey, Chicago, you might want to slow it down a little bit. It's a little different here. And I'm like, oh, I'm good, coach. Like, I got my, my, my mother's side from Louisiana. I'm like, I'm good. I'm from the south almost, right? And I'm running around, and I kind of get dizzy. <laughs> I'm like, what? This has never happened. And he says, hey, Chicago, why don't you come in and get some water, man? <laughs> It's like 105 outside, and I'm running around all crazy. Well, you so, also um, had come from playing for Tim and Jim Brownlee, where if you didn't yes. hustle, you were gonna get you were gonna yes. get rid in the riot act. Like if you didn't sprint at practice, yes, like that had been ingrained in yes. you. Like this is how you go about practice, and this is how you go about one, games. One thousand percent. That had been ingrained in me, not only with uh, Tim and Jim, but uh, Coach Bob Simmons with Triton. It was like, you, you, I wish you would walk. Like, And I still hold that to this day. When you're in the green, you don't walk. Um, but I went down there in Texas. Um, we had Corey Kluber on the team. Um, we had a kid, Eddie Deggerman, who was a little touted, a little higher. He's from Rice University. He was an awesome dude. I Great experiences down there. But Corey, I tell people this to this day, Corey was like our fourth pitcher. And it wasn't much. It was like, oh, it's Kluber. Like, he's good, but like, He's no a big deal. Then, I mean, it's, he 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 was kind of converted guy too. He was in that list yeah. of converted guys too. Yeah, we saw them when I was at Iowa. We played in Stetson's tournament, and uh, mm-hmm. he threw Friday night against Nebraska. So we we didn't yeah. play Nebraska and Stetson. I can't remember. I think we played Maine 
on that Friday, okay. but it was a four team tournament. But yeah, Kluber threw against Nebraska that Friday night. Yeah. And it, and he was, and then you, you know, fast forward a couple years later, it's like, wow, this dude's a Cy Young winner. Like amazing. And I, I, I use those little stories to kind of influence our, our youth and our kids and anybody I'm around like, Hey man, it's not where you start. It has nothing to do with your start. I'm sure he wasn't ranked as a future Cy Young pitcher at any time. And then he just took on to the work. I always remember that about him. He worked really hard and, it's kind of like a all business guy, you know. Um, but Texas was an exceptional experience. Well, you won um, a championship, correct? Yes, won the championship down there. That's a big deal in the summer. Like, big oh, deal. It's a big deal big at any deal. level. Like it's fun, yeah. man. We we did that with the Twin City Stars and Bloomington Normal at CSEL, yeah. and that one of my best memories is winning a championship that summer. My yep. sophomore summer. And, and uh, I honestly caught, I caught the last ball to win it. I hadn't won anything in baseball up to that point. I never won a baseball like championship. Like even in little league, we were on semifinals and losing the semifinals. High school, we got to like super sectional and lost. Uh, just couldn't like. That was like my sixth that at that court. point. At that point, yeah. my college summer league was like my sixth championship I had won along the way. At that. <laughs> oh point. gosh. <laughs> well, good for you. <laughs> I, well, it wasn't awesome. like obviously I was on the team, but right. way more we had really good players on the teams. Yeah, I, from little league up through Legion, high school, mm -hmm. like always on the winning. Had good nice. teams, man. Good teams, good players, good teammates. Good teammates. Absolutely, one thousand percent. We uh, I won state in basketball, so that was my only ring at the time. So it was really cool to bust that one out from TCL every now and then, and just kind of like reminisce. Some good times, man. Really good relationships and connections. Um, it was a really good time. Who was harder to play for, Bob Simmons or Jim Brownlee? Simmons, Bob Simmons. I, I by the way, I my dad was soft on you guys at Illinois State. Probably he changed. I've, I heard that. I, I remind heard. him he changed from Evansville to yes. Illinois State. That's why, yes. I, I would tell him, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you're changing. Like, don't do it. Like, he wouldn't listen to me. Sorry, Dad, yeah. he didn't listen to me. But he I, – I, I, I think, you know, private schools – I think private school coaches can do a little bit more with their guys than maybe some public school guys at times yeah. for right or wrong. But I do feel like he was soft, way soft on you guys at Illinois State. I had actually heard that, that he was uh, a lot different, a lot softer and stuff. Uh, I would just say – Bob, just because the competition there was a little different. I was the slowest outfielder on the team, running a 6-5. Did you that play with like Nate shocking. Price? Yes. And you you actually recruited him over me, P.S. Just want to throw that out That there. was Nick Zamzandi. <laughs> that was Nick Zamzandi. No, now, dude. Nate Price that's ended my, up being a great player dude. for us. He was awesome. He was okay, awesome. He was a draft. Man, Nate was totally, totally made sense, that pick. <laughs> Pricey. He's back in Iowa City. Yes. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He was down in Florida for a while. I saw him at a funeral. Uh, oh, yeah. Ago, I saw him at a funeral. One of our former players at Iowa passed away, Scott Oh, no. So, oh, sorry actually, that was last year. So, yeah, I got a chance to hang oh, out wow. with a bunch of Iowa grads. It was, you know, a terrible reason to have to go back to Iowa City. But Correct. the benefit of that is reconnecting with guys that you yep. had coached. So, yeah. Absolutely. Nate was one Absolutely. of my favorites because he was yes. tough. and my dude. <laughs> and just – Nothing. And I think that's part of playing for Bob, too, is like you knew if somebody could get through two years with Bob Simmons, like, they they were going to be fine when they got to you yeah. because they had already dealt with that and they were going to have thick skin and you're going to be able to coach them yeah. and coach them the right way. You just knew if you got a kid from Triton that they were going to be fine when they got to you. Absolutely. Absolutely.
Absolutely. What'd you learn from Phil Bodine at Plainfield South? Oh, wow. Bodine, Bodine, I will say this. Bodine was like a, a he will say this. He, he treats me like I'm a, one of his sons. Um, and what I learned more, that's when I got my coaching chops. Like you go from playing and I, I see this now and I feel like an old guy. Now I see a college kid fresh out. They, they're sure that they know how to coach this game because they played. Right. And I was that I came out. I'm like, Illinois State, Triton. I had some awesome coaches, TCL. Like, dude, I got some good experiences and I got there and it's like practice planning and stuff. And it was like, I was like, uh, dang, I didn't think of this. Like, what are these guys going to be doing while these guys are hitting, right? Like, I never thought of all those nuances in coaching. And that was um, – Bodine really, really helped me out with that a ton. Um, really taught me a lot about coaching, a lot about, honestly, player um, progression and seeing that, like, hey, this kid's a freshman now. Bodine's pulling him up on varsity. I'm like, I need him for our sophomore team. He's like, no, you got to see the big picture. So you really helped me be able to see the big picture with players and their progression, where they scale to, um, and then practice planning and details. Like I thought I had the details down as a player, but I did as a player. Totally different ball game as a coach. Um, so he helped me kind of foresee that. Um, he was awesome. Uh, it was a good experience too, especially for my first coaching gig to jump into somebody that has a super high standard um, of where he wants his program to be, where he wants his coaches to be. That helped me a ton because if I would have gotten into a space where a guy with a lower standard just preached off my college career, uh, I wouldn't be the coach I am. I wouldn't even be close. And great facility. It's got two fields there. Oh, yeah. They used to Cares run a so lot. many scouting yeah. events there in the summertime. Yes. It was a yep. perfect place to go scout because they'd have yep. two games going on at the same time. And you could yep. you could basically right sit, next to you could sit in left field of the JV freshman field and yep. watch both games going on at the same time. It was a perfect 1, place to scout. Perfect. And he, and he cared, right? And like, you know, and I'm not no no bashing any high school coach, but all, all high schools aren't equal, right? And he cared. He cared about the windscreens behind, and he'd care about it like it was the best player in the world, right? And, and I just realized, like, he was like, all this matters because it, it, it makes the boys feel appreciated. And the boys see I care about this. They understand the buy-in. And I was like, wow, that's, that's cool. And I feel like that's something I really take in to consideration with coaching these teams. Uh, I, they know that I care at the end of the day. They know I care about them. Um, and that's past players too. Like say what you want, you, either whether they left the program, we cut them. Like they know that I care about them as a person. And I think that's, that's huge. And you've kind of touched on this too, but how can we help players and parents get a better perspective, a healthier perspective on the development piece? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just telling the truth. And, and the, the sad thing about this is, like, the truth is spherical, right? It's my truth, right? And that's, like, give them the information that they can make their best decisions. Because that's all – I used to take things personal with parents and stuff, you know, the, the criticisms you get. And it's, like, they don't know what they're talking about in my head, right? And I'm, like – and I had to scale back and go, no, they're trying to do the best they can as a parent. And, yes, they might not know what they're talking about. But they're at the end of the day, they still are trying to do the best they can. So, I mean, we've had some hard conversations where I got kids, you know, we do a college list of schools you want to go to. And some kids come up with some funny, funny schools. You know, everybody wants to go to Tennessee now. Everybody wants to go to Vandy. Everybody wants to go to Ole Miss. And I'm like, and I'm there sitting there like, hey, I believe in you. I'm your coach. And I know you work hard, but now we got a rough conversation, right? And I think it's the more um, people are willing to be honest, especially during trial season and stuff. And I think there's too many salesmen. And everybody wants to sell this ranking and sell this. This is what we do. And we were undefeated. And 
my thought is, and I come in on a parents meeting and I tell them right away, if we're undefeated. I have failed you guys. I've done something really, really wrong here because that's just not how it's going to go. Right. Um, so I think that that piece of things and, and letting them into that, we just had a huge meeting that really could have changed some things in our program with our 15s. Um, I scaled back on some tournaments that we were in and I said, listen, I, I want you guys to think about this. We are a team decision. I said, but right now with the new NCAA rule and how that's possibly can affect our boys, I, as a coach, feel responsible enough to tell you guys, like, listen, we maybe shouldn't go to Georgia for six days. Maybe we should wait on that till next year. And then you guys take that money that you're going to spend on that and send them to the actual college camp that the kid wants to go to. So now we're intentional. We're direct about their recruitment. And practice um, more, by the way. Okay. And, and Let's practice play a weekend tournament and that's, so we can practice three days before that. Yes. And yes. then pitchers can get their bullpens in. We're not going to burn up yes. as many arms. So you can throw your, your side yes. sessions. You can get your, your yeah. inning or two in on the weekend or three. But you're right. going to be way more productive on the mound because you can get your side session work in because yep. you're not having to throw two times on a weekend and get burned yep. up. And it just makes way more sense to me. And my, my hope, and I was going to ask you too, like what would you like to see change out of travel tournaments? Uh, my hope is that we can get to where you're building up to an end-of-season championship, and you're going to play for an mm -hmm. end-of-season championship just like they do in high school, just like they do yeah. in college, just like they do in professional mm -hmm. baseball, where you're mm -hmm. building up to an end-of-a-season thing. And that way, that way development is more important early in the year, and you're building to something, just like you're doing at every other competitive level that they're going to get yeah. to when they're 17, 18, 19, 20, yes. 21, if they're still able to, to keep playing baseball. Yes, yes, right on. Um, man, what would I change travel? Ooh, that's a loaded question because there's a decent amount. Um, but for the most part, I think it's right where you're right spot on what you're saying. I'd actually like to see more terms that are just five games. Go play. Like let's let's get out of the the playing like and now round robin. Basically, it, yeah. it's a round four, robin, four or five games round game. robin. Play your games yes. and then go home. Yes, play a full game. You know, don't do the time limit thing. Now you got coaches doing five mile visits just so they can say they won. But it's like, hey, man, what are you going to what are your kids going to do when they can't do that? And they can't get bailed out that way. You got to learn how to finish a game. Right. Um, and I, I'll be I will honestly say this. I probably lost games because I didn't do it. I was like, no, we're going to play. Oh, you you know, you only got 20 minutes left. You could probably no, we're going to play. And these boys melt down right now. Then that's what's going to happen. And I always say they're like, if we lose, we lose. It's part of it. Um, and I honestly think like, like you're saying, practice more. We always practice traditionally two times a week. And that's a lot for travel. Like people look at that like, that's a lot for travel. Then now we see as they go into high school, it's like, hey, welcome. It's five days a week now. Five, six days a week. Can you handle this? And you start seeing those those players that didn't do that, not used to it, or here goes the spike in injuries because now they don't have an arm care program. They don't know how to take care of their arms. Um, and that's something that I think – I can happily say, like, I'm pretty blessed about right now. Our 15s come to, came into high school. Most of them are playing up, not because they're just so automatically great. It's because they were prepared yeah. for high school, right? And even the ones, like, we've cut kids and they're playing up. And it's like, I'm so proud of those kids because it's like, I told you, I knew you were going to be ready. You were going to be ready. Like, whether you can play here and you're going to play a lot on this team or not, you're going to be ready. And I think that's what coaches need to turn their minds to and even tournaments need to turn their minds to. Get off the rankings and the low-hanging fruit of just making making up just almost arbitrary rankings just to say you rank somebody and actually put together a format, like you said, where it's like, hey, 
we're going to wait till midseason to rank anybody. And then we're going to go from there and kind of make a playoff kind of scheme and do something like that. Yeah, but just let's like college. Jump the gun. I mean, they don't. Yes, absolutely. RP, the RPI doesn't come out basically the first three or four weeks of the college season. The, the mm -hmm. official RPI doesn't come out until after like a month of the college season starting. Right, right. To give them a chance to play a little bit. Absolutely. And the more we can get in development, I think you'll, you'll start seeing kids with a little more pride playing and uh, not just kind of hopping everywhere they can that somebody says they're going to start. So, How are you communicating with your parents and your players during the year? What technology We use sports, you? sports engine. We use technology. Um, they know they can call me. I, I get players, parents calling me during the high school season. I love it, man. Um, I think it says a lot about how they feel about you. Um, if they can call you and say, hey, my, my son's – Man, I saw him on the mound the other day, and not just like the dad being hard. It's like more like, hey, his confidence seems a little shot. Like, coach, can you shoot him a call? Because I know he's gonna listen to you. Um, I got a player has some arm issues, but he wants to play, and he's trying to prove to the coach that he's gonna be a guy. Like, he's gonna be a dude. And I had to have a tough conversation with him. Like, hey, do you want to play this year or for the next four, or just this year only? And it's like to be able to call them, and you know, the parents call me, and I can call the kid, or whatever the case may be. Um, it, it's, a, it's very special to me. I, I take that very serious. What other coaches do you have in the facility? You mentioned your pitching guy. What other coaches are in the facility with you? Yeah, so we have a kid, uh, Nick Baldessano, um, AU, um, Royal University guy, um, infield specialist um, that we use. We have a coach, Peyton Lumberg. Uh, 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 she's out of DePaul, pitching coach. Um, DePaul University, she's running our softball team. She is super passionate and phenomenal. I know nothing. That's the one thing. I know nothing about softball pitching like how did I, <laughs> you and I, me both <laughs> know nothing about it i know it looks she great it they can yeah. manipulate the ball well like i know yes. it looks awesome but like i I'm, I'm like i can't i could never take anybody step by step how to do it i stay away from it she's raps a little certified too um uh we have coach mj munoz um he's more of our he's turning into a, more of a strength coordinator uh you've actually met mj yeah. uh and he actually just got an awesome opportunity. He's gone, uh, went down to FAU for the summer um, to do an internship down there. And I, I tell him to save his money. Boca Raton is expensive. Holy yes, I know. <laughs> He's on campus. Save your dollars, MJ. Save put yes, your sir. pennies away because it's save expensive. It I know Chicago is expensive, but not like yeah, Boca Raton. That's a different ball game. Yeah. And then we got uh, Coach Angel Sanchez, um, Coach Nathan Segura. He's a catching guy. We've had uh, we we're really lucky to have Billy Corgan as part of our staff this year. He's um cross checker for the Twins organization. Um, and then I say our, our outside coaches are Eric Tyson, coordinator for Brewers, hitting coordinator for Brewers, is a great, great friend of mine. Um, he comes like three times a year. If he could come more, he would. But they're obviously on the road a lot. Then we have uh Coach Julius Gaines out of ground up, does phenomenal, phenomenal work out of uh, Atlanta. And I'm trying my best to get him to like it up here and just stay up here. <laughs> He's trying his best to get me to move down to Georgia, which I have never gone back good. to that weather. I love yeah, I exactly. love my people in the Midwest, but I'm I'm never going back to that You're good. weather. I'm good. I, I've shoveled enough snow in my life. <laughs> Done it. Yeah, hey, what what so. have been your thoughts about the ABCA diversity meeting that we have during the convention? Whew, um, it, it's um it's a good start to things. It's a good it's a good um environment to start a good conversation that can be tough and can be awkward but you see a bunch of people in there that are willing to step up and at least have the conversation and talk more um i was pretty 
uh, I guess I, I'm pretty, that's pretty, uh, I don't yeah, know but you're passionate. Is, but like for, for me, for me, like you're passionate about it. So like I, yeah, I, with any of our committees, we have to get differing opinions yeah. in the room and let them hash it out. You know, when, yeah. when Dave Kylitz was our executive director, you know, Craig's dad, those division one meetings that we had, because back in the old days, we're trying to get the 25% rule, the transfer rule, the yeah. roster cap. There were a lot of things that weren't in place that we all knew were going to help college baseball at the time. Right. But right. Not everyone agreed with that. So there would be some extremely passionate and confrontational yes. conversations that were had at that coaches meeting. But that was the only way that we were going to come to some sort of a resolution 1, and then have yeah. a united front of like, okay, like yeah. maybe not everybody agrees, but this is the best thing for baseball at this time. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm that's my hope for all of our committees is that we have differing opinions, people are passionate about it, but then mm -hmm. we ultimately come to a co collective group agreement like this is, for our level yeah. of baseball, this is what's best. Yes. And so this yeah. is what we're going to do. Not for the yeah. individual, this is right. what's best for baseball as a collective unit, so this is what mm -hmm. we need to do at every level of baseball. Right, 1,000%. I think the diversity piece in baseball, like obviously I'm super passionate about that, and it, and – I don't think it's a one race issue or anything like that. I yeah. think it's just diversity in baseball. And that's, that's and one Carrick of those says too. it well. It's about inclusion. Inclusion, it's yes. It's about like, inclusion. Like, you know, there, there's a plan. difference between just kind of soft shoeing it yes. rather than it's it's all inclusive. Yes. Like, and, and, this, and like, everybody's it's a, it, comfortable because yeah, everybody feels game. seen, everybody feels comfortable, and we have inclusion. Where it doesn't matter right. what you look like, male, female, black, brown, white, right, gay, straight, doesn't matter. Yeah. It's inclusive to everybody, and everybody feels seen and, and comfortable. Yeah, and I think I think that stuff really starts youth at the youth level, getting kids out played. Right, I'm trying to do my best here, my part. Uh, we started a nonprofit, you know, K25 Cares, you know, it's kind of typical of a nonprofit, right? And my thought was to get kids that haven't played. Like I during the day, I'm. I'm I work at a school district that's super diverse, East Rural School District. And I see kids all the time in those hallways. I'm like, man, dude, gosh, I, I, you're quick. You're athletic. It's all heck. Have you ever thought about baseball? No, I've never. No one's ever showed me how to play. Man, and I'm, I'm telling them, come to my facility. Come the first time free, whatever. Come, Just come out and experience this game that's done so much for my life. Um, and I think we all, you know, the more united we get on this thing, the better it's going to get. I think, like, I keep going back to this, I guess, today. The WBC is a great example of what that looks like in, the, in our game. You know, those kind of athletes, um, very passionate, intense, a lot of energy, and being accepting of that energy, right? And I think sometimes we do a really bad job with the youth game. Like, um, I remember there's a distinct uh, situation. When I was at USA's, this was the first time I was down to USA's, and a kid got up to bat. I mean, imagine these kids are like, I think they were 11. Super excited. I mean, he's at USA's, like, whoa, like, this is huge. And um, gets down there, he had a, a chain on, similar to this one, like chain on. And um, as soon as he gets to the back, oh, wait, stop, take the chain off, take the you know wristband off, take all this off. We're not, you do that when you get to the pros. When I get to the pros, I'm 12. What are, like, what are we talking about? And it's like, hey, why don't you just strip the fun out of the game first? But, but, and I say that to say, but in football, go get it, kid. Basketball, absolutely. 
all you see is Steph Curry gear, LeBron gear, KD gear. They're, they're emulating what they wish to be like. And in this game, we have too many of those unwritten rules. We're like, oh, I don't like that. That's too flashy. Or I don't like this. And then those kids are going home and they're watching the College World Series. And then you see Clemson bring out a rim when somebody dunks and they're slamming it in the rim. Or, you know, it's like, why would you strip them away from that and say, wait till you get there? Well, the chances are they're not going to get there. So can they enjoy this now? Please, like, let them enjoy it now. And I think those are the things where people get in their own way or they make it about themselves and what they like. And it's like, hey, man, let the kids be kids. I'm all for it. I tell our kids, you hit a home run, go ahead. Just don't be disrespectful to the other team. Understand that there's a board, there's a line there, right? Um, and then when the team does it against us, I'm like, hey, man, <laughs> hey, <laughs> tip your cap. Man. Brownlee, you if you don't like it, play better. Yes, if, you if you don't, don't like, like it, pitch better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you didn't like it, you might want to do something next time before you hit another one. Like, you know, and I think that's huge in our game. So, you know, that's that's the energy I like to create on our teams. It's like have a lot of fun, be scrappy, be a little chippy. Just don't be disrespectful to the game. Um, respect your parents, respect the game, and uh, play for yourself, and then play for your teammates. Um, and I, I think that that needs to be the overall view on this game, not hey, take off this wristband, which has an MOB logo on it. It's like, the wristband has nothing to do with the kids' play. Like, let them just play. You know with our I mean? black so, kids, we had kids with cornrows. We had kids with huge afros. Yes, and they were like, Coach, you want me to cut my hair? I was like, no, I actually kind of like it. As long as no. you can keep your hat on, like, I don't care. Like, Man, style, style it style it however you want. I don't care. Yes. Just be able to keep your hat on. We're all good. Like, I was like, yes. I think it actually kind of looks really cool. Like, I'm yes, actually kind of jealous. Are- I can't. I can't do any of that. My hair's falling out now. So, but I was like, yeah, "Yeah, I think it's great, man. Like just as long as you keep your hat on, we're good. 1000%. I mean, I mean, down to the music before games, like let them go, let them rock. As long as it's clean, like clean it up. As long as, as long as there's no cuss words in it, like that's what they like to listen. I'm sure I listened to stuff when I was coming out that that I'm sure my coach was like, why is Ryan listening to all that stuff? But I like that. It spoke to, it spoke to me. So give give some people some grace that it's a newer generation. They're going to like newer things. So again, let them have their own personality. Let them enjoy the things that they like to enjoy. Cause we were all kids once. Yeah. 1000%. And I, and I try to stay away from the, like blaming the kids, right? Like, Oh, these kids these days where it's like, well, we're leading them. So, hey, I'm driving Uber and Lyft now yeah. uh, just for a side deal. But honestly, because we're in a great yeah. area and I've driven a lot of college kids and I've driven some yeah. high school kids, yeah. I've had some phenomenal conversations I'm sure, with the I'm younger bad. generation. I'm and I, yeah. I do feel like it's coming back. Like I've had yes. some highly intelligent conversations with some younger kids that I'm like, I, I really yeah. feel like it's coming back. Like I feel 1, like we're going to get We got to believe the future. Yes. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. I'm trying bright. to change I, the world one one Uber Lyft drive at a time. I'm trying to change it, it as a 48 year old <laughs> white man because you can kind of see it. You know, I'll pick yeah. up a minority, and I'm sure they're like, "Oh man, look at this yeah. old white dude that's picking me you up." Flavor to you, but so. then I'll ask questions, and then they're like, "Oh, he's okay." And so it's like, okay, yeah, yes, I'm changing sir. the world one one car ride at a time. Yes, sir. And I I think we need to do that in our game, right? Like, yes. just bring it back to having kids game. Let the kids do what they want. Let them lead the charge in our game. You know, let them lead the charge in our game. So our teams have a lot of fun when they play. I love to face teams that do as well. White Sox, Aces, are, I mean, you like to, they're nuts to play. It's awesome. I love it. I love everything about it. Um, even to top tier, McCook and the other top tiers, it's awesome to play against them and have that energy and kind of 
have that fighting grit to it because it's refreshing in this game. I hate a quiet game. Yeah. I can't stand it. I'm I like, what are we either. doing? Playing tennis okay, or no. what? Like, what are we doing? Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, so I'm all for it. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to set you back, but looking back now, it actually kind of helped you push forward? Oh, man. I'll fail forward more. I have uh, several fail forward moments. Um, uh, but one is honestly the facility. My first year in, you get, you build it right, and you're like, man, like I did it, right? Like, okay, now I just got to take care of it. I got to do the right things, treat people nice, right? And um, that first year was tough, really tough for me. Um, the summer came. So if you run a facility, everybody knows how the summer is. And scaling stuff I was pretty green with, right? And, I, and to this day, I, I have so much to learn, so much to learn about business and all this right and um even being a coach and it was what i realized is my time was i was stretching myself too thin where i'm trying to do so much and not delegate um so i didn't necessarily i mean i i failed in being like hey i was really struggling i was scared about you know hey man hopefully i go in there and the lights are on right and it's like things of that nature hit you and it's like hey does this is this kind of spilling to the way i'm coaching am i a little more um short-tempered now because it's like what are you guys doing but it has nothing to do with them right and uh, and then you go home and you got to be dad, right? And it's like, hey, and I, I kind of sat back. It's probably like late July. I sat back and I was like, wait up, wait up. I'm not, I'm trying to do a thousand things. I'm doing none of them good. I need to, I need to lean on some help. Started calling back mentors and stuff. Being able to talk to people. Seth is, is awesome because Seth can be so diplomatic, right? And, and but he gives you a he good answer. Switzerland, he really but is. He, he yes, is but he gives you a good answer. But he gives you an answer that you, you still got to think about because he gives you options to that, right? Todd is awesome too in that. Um, so some of my friends, Jay Molina is great with it. Tyson is is awesome where he's like, hey, you can do this, you can do this, like. And uh, it was more of like, hey, you're pushing through this thing, and we all knew this was coming. Now it's about the work behind it now it's about the recovery piece and that was just one summer but i feel like i've failed so many times and i always tell kids like hey man if you're gonna fall if you're gonna fall fall forward if you can't fall forward fall on your back why because you're at least looking up so if you can look up you can get up right so there's so much um, trial and error and i think people back oh off that piece because they, they yeah they're so worried. It's an ego thing. They're so worried about yes. the perception if I don't yes. do well. And then they don't realize, like, everybody's had a lot of trial and error to get yes. to that point. And if you don't have that trial and error, you're never going to grow. You will never 1,000%. You will never 1,000%. I remember, honestly, like, the game itself. I was going to – I started coaching basketball again after, after my years of Triton because um, I was bitter with baseball. I, I failed, right? I didn't get drafted. And to me, I failed. I was like, no, I should have got drafted. I, I had the tools. You screwed it up. I, I failed, right? And so, and I, I've used this. I've told that our kids been vulnerable enough to tell our kids this story. I said, uh, I failed. And, you know, I got to senior senior year, had a rough month and a half. And that's pretty much over for college. Yes. And so, finish. I did get drafted. There's some other kids I saw getting drafted. And I was upset with that. Like, what? This kid can't touch me like right and I got home I got bitter I started uh you know pointing the finger at everything else in the world that wasn't right with my situation and then one day I just kind of looked in the mirror like you need to shut the hell up like you need to stop this like there's some things you could have done too you're a part of that failure you're you're extreme you're ownership that, right? I love it like yes, I, I, I've said it a lot I think I think the, the universe opens up to you Yep. When you finally take extreme ownership and you take responsibility for everything that's that's happened to you, yep. 
Whether you yes. agree with it or not, I think when you finally That's... take responsibility, like I'm in this position because of me, not because of anybody else. Yes. I've had yes. I've had 98% of, of the situation that I'm in is because of the decisions that I've made and the habits that I've built. And when yep. people finally do that and really do look in the mirror and are honest with where they're at, I think the yeah. world just opens up for people when they finally 1, make that decision. 1,000%. I always say failure and success are usually usually both gradual. Yes. They're usually both gradual. Like if I'm failing, you start to see you start to see people kind of slowly, okay, you're, now you're not doing this. I, I tell our kids, at Illinois State, I used to hit at like 11 o'clock at night. Before I'd go out, I'd hit. By senior year, that like slowly stopped. Stop doing it. Ah, I'm going to hurry up and go out. I got to shower. I got... You come up with all this, this stuff, right, that you need to do. Um, and it wasn't until I said, like, no, dude, you stopped doing that. You stopped the process. You you found reasons not to go to the facility. You you had everything that you needed, whether it was the perfect place or not, whatever. We had everything that you needed at the time to be as successful as I wanted to be. You made some choices, though, that didn't help you out um, or didn't you know, help your case. And once I got there, it was like it was easier to just kind of say, you know, what? I, have, I love baseball. I don't know why. I'm mad at baseball. Like baseball's gonna stop because Chris is mad. Stop. Like, told our players that all the time. I'm like, hey, I, I know you think the game's gonna stop when you're done playing. It's not. It's been around it's since not. 1800s. This train is gonna keep rolling. It's going. Hey, baby. I learned self discipline the summer I played in Bloomington Normal. I played there two summers. So my sophomore summer, I, I mean, I, I always had a little bit in me, but that summer was great for me because I worked for an engineering company. I had to be there at 6:30 in the morning. So yeah. I would work from 6.30 to noon, go home, eat lunch, go to the ballpark. Then I found a place, a, a weight room that was open. It was a meathead weight room. So there's these guys <laughs> on steroids. Like it was the, the typical like gold's yeah. gym, but yes. it was open till midnight. So I would get done playing. I would go home, change, throw my stuff in the, my uniform in the wash because we did our own wash, go mm -hmm. to that facility come back, eat, go to bed, and do it all over again. And obviously, we had guys from Illinois State on our team, guys from Illinois Wesleyan on yep. our team. So the right partying on. was readily available that summer. Yep. And yep. I, because I had to be at work at 6.30 in the morning, and, and Duffy Bass, who is on the field, he's passed away now, my dad played for, he was our GM. I was like, I can't screw this up because yeah. – I don't want to embarrass my dad. Like it's his ex college coach who was really hard. Duffy was a, a really hard human being to be around. Mm -hmm. Plus, I didn't want to get yelled at by Duffy, but like that helped me develop my self discipline. Yeah, you know, where it would have been easy to just check out, but like, but I got a lot stronger. I found creatine that summer, and I put on about 15, 20 pounds of muscle that summer. Oof. My dad okay. asked me if I was on steroids at the end of the summer. Yeah, look at that. I must say. No cell phones. Like, I, shoot, I probably talked to my parents once that whole summer. Right, right. And um, um, I saw yeah. my dad. He was like, are you on steroids? I'm like, no, but I found creatine, and um, <laughs> it's helped me get through the summer. Right on. I, I think mine was uh, at, in, in Texas. The fear of being sent home. Yeah. Like, yeah, my thing is, I can go home dad if you get sent I'm home. not getting sent home. Like, it's not happening. And a couple of our kids did. From just bad performance. Actually, my host brother got cut. I thought I was gonna have to move homes. <laughs> like so, I was like, man, I gotta get in here, get with some kids that are better than me. Iron sharpens iron. Train with some kids that I think they got a little more than me, and, and figure it out. So, that how was did you really learn to delegate 
uh, when I when I took the job at Western Illinois, my wife Amy was like, I don't think you can be a head coach. She goes, because I don't think you can delegate to people. She goes, you're used to doing everything yourself. She goes, I, yeah. cause, and that was a hard thing when I first got to Western. It was like, yeah. I got so used to doing everything as a recruiting coordinator and assistant. Right. That was a hard transition for me of giving other people responsibilities. But I think part of that is people have to earn that responsibility too. Absolutely. Like, I don't think you just can things to people. I think they have to prove that they're going to be able to handle those responsibilities. And I think that's part of being a good assistant too, is earning some more responsibilities. And, you know, you talked about it. I think everybody thinks they're owed something. You're not owed anything. The work that you put in and you do jobs that nobody else wants to do as an assistant and you take stuff off your head coach's plate and on the things that he doesn't want to do, I think you start to earn some of those responsibilities as an assistant. So that was was the toughest thing for me was being able to delegate. Because, again, you have to take stuff off your plate. You're going to get burned out. Like your production is going to go way down once you start to get burned out. Yes. I learned by simple. I failed. I failed a ton and I, I realized like I'm trying to be two places at once frequently. I'm trying to do five things at once frequently. So you start feeling yourself getting burnt out and stuff. But I was very, I'm very like uh, protective over what I've built. And I'm very like, I don't want to just trust anybody. Like there was a while where I would have the only key. Me and my wife had the only key and I wasn't letting anybody in. I, you know, they had a lesson. I drive over here to let them in. And it's like, dude, just let them in. Like, get them, get them a code and get them in. Right. And, um, it was just not efficient. Um, not only for business, just for life. Right. And so, um, once you go through that and you fail a decent amount, it's like, Hey, you're either going to, it's like, it's like being in the box. You strike one, you better adjust <laughs> to something. Right. Um, so I started adjusting. I started, um, reading books, started getting to reading a decent amount. Um, what's been your favorite book more. lately? Oof, oh my gosh. Don't do that. I go in spurts. Roberto oh. and I talked about it. Um, I, I go in spurts, so I'll check like three or four out because I, I just mm-hmm. I need to read a little bit and then pick something else. Kind of like studying for yeah. college, like studying small bursts of different yes. topics because I think you retain better. I yes. just got outlived by Dr. Peter Atia. He's big on social now. Outlive? It's big. It's like a it's it's like a college textbook almost but he was okay. a medical doctor that got out of the medical field because he was tired of the way patients were being treated so mm-hmm. he started to study longevity so he's got some great info oh, wow. in there i'm i'm like a chapter in but you just get the sense of reading it that it's like okay this is going to be really good i'm just finishing up uh Discipline is Destiny by Ryan Holiday. I love Ryan Holiday's cool. books. Obstacles is the Way is phenomenal. Ego is the Enemy is phenomenal. And then Psychology of Money. It's my favorite yeah, yeah. finance book. Um, it, yes. I've read it twice. I'll, I'll, I'll probably go back to that book maybe every two or three years just to retouch because the, the mm-hmm. great thing about Psychology of Money is it talks about every person's situation is different. So it's really yeah. hard to take financial advice from other people. Because 100%. when you're born is is way different on your financial decisions. If you're born in a recession, your financial yep. how you invest is going to be different. You know, so yeah. so I really like that book because it, again, it talks about taking your ownership of your own personal finance. And yes, you yeah. can you can take info from certain people on things. And and I've leaned a lot on my mom and dad over the years on the on the the finance piece and the retirement yeah. piece. And luckily my yeah. parents were involved with putting money away 
when I was growing up. So I did that, you know, even when I was making no money at, at Evansville, I was bartending. I was putting $25 a month in a TIA CREF account. If you work in education, you can get a free yeah. TIA CREF account. And that yep. mutual fund that I had, I started when I was making no money. That's what my wife and I used for a down payment for our house when, awesome. when I was 29 years old. And so wow. that account had been building $25 a month for eight or nine years. It was actually a pretty good amount of money, even though it yeah. really wasn't. If you think about $25 a month, okay, yeah. don't, don't go out to eat one meal. Yes. But yes. that's a self-discipline thing too. And living below 100%. your means. Um, Psychology of Money has a great story in the beginning. There was a janitor. Nobody knew he was wealthy, but when he passed away, he donated $8 million to wow. different charities and, and schools because he had lived below his means for like 60 years. Wow. And just put money away. And, um, oh. you know, I know we're getting off tangent here, but anybody want, if Not you want to be wealthy, and again, there's a difference between, yeah. between being rich and, and wealthy. being wealthy. If I see somebody with a nice car, a nice house, I'm just like, they spent way more money than I ever would have. On yeah, well, so I think it's all relative. Yeah. I think most people yeah. now spend exactly what they make or overspend what they make. Yeah, so correct. if I see somebody with really nice stuff, I'm like, they're probably overpaying for that. Overspend on that. <laughs> I think a, a book, to answer your question, a book that I like um, is The Energy Bus. Love it. Love um, it. Ole Miss, that was it, their book that they went back to last year. Yeah, it was. It, speak to, it spoke a lot to me. Um, just because I, I've always been told I got great energy, like I'm an energy guy, like you're giving, and, um, and you can tell when I'm not feeling that, <laughs> like people are like, oh, something's wrong today, right? <laughs> and it's like understanding how that folds into the way you treat people, the way you coach, the way you speak to people, um, it, just the way you go about anything. Um, that's a, a great book. Um, great, if, great. If book. I'm I not Rob feeling well, I'll cut my hair. I cut my own hair now because of COVID, so I've saved. There you go. <laughs> Somebody was trying to be like, how much money do you think you've saved the last three years of cutting your own hair? And I'm like, probably $2,000 is what easy. I've saved. Because yeah, it was easy. a, my daughter had an autoimmune disorder during COVID. So like I couldn't, okay. I couldn't do it. And then luckily my, my son, Jackson, who's in Asheville had been cutting his own hair or at least like trimming it. Uh -huh. So when, when the office got shut down, I went back to Illinois and I was like, well, barbers aren't open. I'm like, Jackson, just take a two guard. And just, and just go, zip go. it. And then after that, I was like, I think I can just start doing it. So I watched a couple of YouTube videos on how there to it do is. it. And so, yeah, it's been three yeah. years. Get yourself a tutorial. Yeah. YouTube's the best. You can learn. This is the greatest time to, to be a person because you can learn yes. anything for free. Uh, I, drove a, I drove a woman this morning. She did not speak any English. Okay. And so Sp I did take, I did take Spanish in high school, but I was trying to like, but in the back of my mind, I was like, I think through Uber and Lyft, you can do a uh, second language for free. Mm -hmm. I'm going to dive in on probably Duolingo or Babbel and, yeah. and learn Spanish because I know I'm probably going to pick people up now that don't speak English uh -huh. that from a communication and language barrier piece. That would just yeah. be another thing to be able to communicate with. Them. I actually said my vowels in Spanish. <laughs> so, yeah yeah man so I'm, I'm definitely trying to get better and better at that um and i can get by i can get by with some Good spanish um so i can get by a little bit my wife's uh latina so um it helps and if for like during covid we tried this thing where she only talked she only talks to our daughters in spanish and i talked to them in english so they'll be they'll have Perfect. that 
but it's that's a neural pathway thing too like i think it's eight years old is when your language neural pathways harden to where it makes it way more difficult so if you can get a younger kid exposed to a second or third language that's why you see people that can speak five or six different languages because they've been exposed to those different languages but that's why you also see like i always give people grace that maybe have an accent because mm-hmm. they've probably lived in the United States for 40 or 50 years, but yeah. they, they moved here after they were eight years old. So yeah. their their accent is going to be their, whatever you have as an eight-year-old, yeah. that's going to be your accent going forward. So I always try to give people grace that, that maybe you're thinking, oh, they're a foreigner. They're not a foreigner. They're, they're an American. <laughs> they yes. just... They just moved here after they were eight years old. So they're going to have right. look at Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's a great example. Right. Still you know, He still has yeah. a very thick German accent because yeah. he moved here later in life. So he's always going to yeah. have that accent. And honestly, the English language, if people actually just look at it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Impossible. So <laughs> it's I got, ridiculous. I got a buddy in, in <laughs> so, Indy, his girlfriend, yeah. that's what she does for a job is she, she does English as a second language. Uh-huh. And I was there at Indy Super Bowl and she's, I'm listening to her conference call and I'm like, oh, English language is hard. Like, oh, it's ridiculous. there's vowels that are silent. There's, yes. there's multiple words that sound the same, but are spelled different yes. and have different meanings. Yes. Like it's an impossible language for somebody that comes ridiculous, from, man. It's, it's Absolutely. Impossible it's impossible. 1000%. Hey, you talked about manifestation. Is that one of your routines? I mean, do you have, do you have that set into your routines as manifesting? Um, I would like to call it a routine. I think it probably is because I, I look at things and I am like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. And and it's usually some things that are a little tougher. Like I know that like one of the things I manifest all the time, I know that I'm going to have a nonprofit camp, free camp for kids that don't can't afford this sport at a field somewhere around here soon. And it's going to, and I'm going to get people involved to get gloves donated and that whole mashup, right? I'm going to do something like that. And then I'm going to be able to scholarship those kids into our programs and be able to help them out and give them more opportunities. Um, I manifested it. I have a facility. Um, when I, <laughs> and at the time I was like, are you crazy? You didn't, you barely got 50 bucks in your bank. Like, <laughs> are you going to do that? But I just, I always visualize, I always tell myself that I can do it um, in a limitless way. That it's like, hey, I'm going to do this. And when I do it, no matter how I do it, it's going to be perfect for what I need at the time. That's the end of my morning uh, quiet time is gratitude Mm -hmm. and then manifestation. I do think I manifested this job, actually. But but the piece is is like seeing yourself actually in it. I think that's the the thing. People people are like, well, what if this? What if this? I'm like, no, like experience all of it like. If yeah. you're going to do it and go that route, like experience what it actually feels like as you're doing yeah. it. Um, and yeah. I guess over the course of my career, I've probably manifested every job I've ever gotten because it yeah. moved from volunteer to assistant to recruiting coordinator yeah. to head coach. I think in a roundabout way, I probably manifested. But it was me seeing myself actually in those positions. It wasn't yes. It wasn't a guess or a what if. It was me actually feeling it and experience mm-hmm. what it would feel like to actually be in those positions. And then same thing. I think if you do that, I think the world opens up to you. As a Absolutely. I did that at USA. So yes. I'm going to be on this. I'm going to, I'm going to be a coach for something here, whether it's a recruiting guy or a coach, I, I will 
I'll get there eventually. So <laughs> that's one of those things, too. What are some final thoughts or something I should ask you that I didn't? Oh, no, I think we, it was a great conversation. I'm not looking for any particular question at all, man. I, I think it's a great conversation. My final thought is, like, any youth out there, um, it's, I, I said it earlier, um, success and failure are both usually gradual. So if you're not doing as good as you'd like to do, that's how, that's part of you. Um, it's part of your environment. It's part of you. And if you're doing well, it's part of you. It's part of your environment as well. So um, attitude and effort is everything. So, Jenks, thanks for your time, so, man. Love you. Appreciate man, you. Appreciate thanks for you, everything brother. you're doing. All right. Appreciate yes, it. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. I've always enjoyed my time talking baseball with Chris. He's doing things the right way in the training and travel baseball space. Thanks again, Antonio Walker, Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Mawist in the ABC office for all the help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at coachb underscore abca, or direct message me via the MyBCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Set me free